It is May and it is time for ordinations. Not sure if you've been to any ordinations this month or whether that is the sort of thing you attend or even hear about. I am a proponent of the idea that one thing we need to do in order to promote vocations is to let people know when there are ordinations. This is the responsibility of not just the diocesan vocations directors, but also of the vocation directors of all religious congregations. Please use social media, take a photo, post a photo of the new priests or deacons on your Facebook page, share them on Twitter, send the photo with a caption to your local news outlet. In fact, it is my experience that most local community newspapers will publish a little article about a man from their community who has been ordained. And so, here is my contribution. This past Saturday, I was at the ordination of eight permanent deacons for the Archdiocese of Toronto. They are Del Allen, a vice principal at a Catholic high school, John Brown, a partner at a major law firm, Stefan Brunk, president of a gourmet cookie company, Tim Dunlop, a financial advisor and mortgage agent, Paul Ma, an engineering specialist, Peter Takaoka, manager at an engineering consulting firm, and Richard Gote, an assistant vice president of business operations at a wealth management firm. So, now, Toronto has a total of 113 permanent deacons. Any men out there considering the permanent diaconate? Take this as the answer to your prayers. Go find out more. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. First off, we have a winner. Carol Smith of Baldwin, Missouri. Carol Smith, you've won a copy of last week's featured album, Stronghold by Out of Darkness. Congratulations, Carol. You should be getting your prize in the mail shortly. And for the rest of you, remember that we give away prizes every week. So those of you who'd like to win a prize, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org radio and sign up. You can also comment on our posts at facebook.com slash slradio1. I know many of you are on Facebook, so go visit us. And if you do that, if you comment, we'll make sure that you are entered into our weekly draw. Or send us an email. Email us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Or send us mail. Or call us. Or come visit us. Or send us smoke signals. Anything, please. We want your comments. We need to know how we're doing, and if you like the show, please contact us and we'll give you free stuff. How's that? Today, Sister Marie Paul Curley returns to talk about a movie that has a powerful message that's just coming out, coming out on DVD, and that's in about 15 minutes, just after Alicia's News and uh, Andrew's Saint of the Week. And after that, Father Tom Rosica has a reflection for the Feast of the Ascension. In our second half hour, we're going to be talking about preaching. I hope this is something that will interest most of you since we all appreciate a good homily. Father Garrick de Bona of the Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology will be here to tell us about good preaching. And our featured artist this week is someone else that I can't believe we've lasted so long without featuring. He's been doing Catholic music for such a long time. John Angotti. Very much looking forward to speaking with John Angotti at the end of our program today. But let's start with a song. Here's John, John Angotti, with I Want to Offer Love from his album, I Believe. I want to offer love. 
Gaudi with I Want to Offer Love from his album I Believe. We'll be speaking with John Angotti in our second half hour and in about 10 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Alicia is here with our news. Alicia, welcome back. Good to be back and awake. It was a long, yes, you long had a, week. Yes. How was your weekend? Intense. Okay. Intense. That's and old news now. Well, it is and it isn't, because even though the Pope's suitcase has been unpacked, the souvenirs are still being oh, sorted out. Good. And that's really our news for this week. So, I mean, the first thing that Pope Francis did, of course, was stop the Pope Mobile unexpectedly and go pray at, at the dividing wall in yes. Bethlehem. Yes. And, you know, everyone was kind of holding their breath going, oh, my goodness, what has he just done? What re- reaction is this going to get? And then he went one step further in Bethlehem and invited both Shimon Peres and Mahmoud Abbas, so yes. the Israeli president and the Palestinian president, 
to come together and pray together for peace. And yes. he said, and I offer my house at the Vatican. Yes, very interesting. I think every jaw was on the floor I at loved that it. point. And he said it, what, four times or something? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah he repeated least, it four yes. times throughout the, the, yes. the visit. What we know now is that both accepted quite quickly. Mm-hmm. There's no date set. The original reports had said it would be June 6th, okay. but there's no date That's set. soon. Yeah, there's no date though. However... Shimon Peres is set to step down in about two months. Uh-huh. The en- he comes to the end of his term. So we know it has to happen in the next two months. Okay. So that will be something to... Ki- yes. yes. The other thing that people are pointing out that is worth noting is that the Israeli prime minister uh-huh. didn't Netanyahu. acknowledge this at all. So Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu. didn't acknowledge this invitation at all. Okay. So again, so this is, you know, the the... The plot thickens, the soap opera continues yes. kind of situation, and we're going to be keeping our eyes on absolutely, this. Absolutely, absolutely. So from Bethlehem, he went on. Yes. And he went on to the Western Wall. Mm-hmm. Now, the news there, m- many of our listeners may have seen the images. He didn't just, like, pray there and, okay, that's done. So he put his prayer into the wall, and then while the guide was trying, while the rabbi was trying to, like, lead him away... He like walks off from the rabbi and goes and hugs his two friends who were with him yes, on the trip. Yeah. A rabbi and, and a Muslim uh, leader. Yeah, yeah. So there's this beautiful image of these three men, the Pope, a rabbi, and a Muslim yeah, leader yeah. embracing in front of the Western Wall. And um, Rabbi Abraham Skorka, the Pope's friend, yeah. uh, turned to the Pope and said, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Yes. So they were trying to be an example of interfaith friendship of how how friendship can blossom despite religious differences or because even of religious yeah. differences now the real news though came on the flight yes. on the way home of course yes the airplane the airplane he promised reporters I w- I'll I'll answer your questions on the return flight. On the way there, I should say, he actually greeted each journalist individually. There mm-hmm. were about 70 journalists really? on board. He went to each one, shook their hands. There are a whole bunch of selfies that were tweeted from the <laughs> papal plane <laughs> Great. with the Pope in the selfie. Um, now, on the return flight, though, back to Rome, he was asked about everything under everything. the sun. So he was asked about clerical sexual abuse. He was asked about the Vatican Bank, priestly celibacy, his next trip. Communion to divorced Catholics. Exactly. And he kind of, he actually got mad about that one. He said, you know, I don't like the fact that everyone is focusing on communion for divorced Catholics. The issues that families face are so much wider, so much bigger. Um, Whenever any of the cardinals involved in the synod have spoken, immediately people are focusing on that. But Getting quickly to what he said on, on board that plane. So he said that there will be zero tolerance for any form of abuse by priests, but also for bishops who don't handle it properly, who don't follow canon law, who cover it up. He said there's three bishops currently being investigated. One has already been found guilty and they're deciding on the penalty for him. Two are still being investigated. So that's huge. Now, victims groups are saying... So what? It's just a lot of talk. Um, but he is, uh, Pope Francis is adamant, zero tolerance going forward. He will also be meeting with a group of victim survivors at the Vatican 
with Cardinal Sean O'Malley. From Boston. Um, and we expect that to happen in June as okay. well. Um, regarding the Vatican Bank, he said, actually, a lot of cleanup has happened. About 1,600 bank accounts have been closed wow. because they belong to people who shouldn't have had bank accounts there. Yeah, interesting. And there's this matter of 15 million euros that kind of disappeared. Well, it was given out to an Italian production house as a convertible bond and was paid back in shares. Uh, Cardinal Bertone was involved in this. And he has insisted everything was above board. Pope Francis said, we're investigating. It's not clear what happened. Mm -hmm. We're investigating this. And then lastly, and I have to say this because it was in the news in the previous week, the, the, there was that group of women that wrote to Pope Francis asking to please overturn the priestly celibacy yes. because yes. these women were involved with priests. Yes. So, of course, he was asked about this. And he, he pointed out that Celibacy for priests is not church dogma. No, it isn't. It's a rule of life, yes. and it's a gift to the church. And he said, you know, we have married priests mm -hmm. in the church. The Greek Catholics, um, Ukrainian Catholics, all, Eastern rites all the Eastern Rites have married priests. And we have Roman Catholic priests who are married Exactly, well. those who were Anglicans yes. before. Yes. So he said, but the thing that came out of this that is quotable is he said, we have a lot bigger issues yes. to deal with. Yes. We have bigger problems to deal with. Yeah before we get to priestly celibacy. Good. And that is what made the news this week at the Vatican. There was other stuff, but the focus was on this. And all of that, this week on Vatican Connections. With exactly. Alicia Ambrosio. Thank you very much. That, that's a good, uh, a good summary of, of in case anybody missed uh, the events of last weekend. Alicia Ambrosio, our news producer. Be sure to watch Alicia every week on Vatican Connections, her program. You can watch it on demand at saltandlighttv.org, and you can follow her at Vati Connections. Hi, I'm Susan Hukong-Taylor, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me at deaconpedro.com and also on Facebook. Search for Deacon Pedro, and my Twitter handle is at deaconpedrogm. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santo. Deacon Pedro, how are you? I am very good, Andrew. Uh, you spoke about your Twitter handle. How many followers do you have now? Oh, not, not enough. We need more Twitter oh, followers. I was, <laughs> I was waiting for you to say hundreds. Hundreds, maybe well, even hundreds, thousands. Yes, there are hundreds. You're doing thousands. great work in the church, and people need to follow what Deacon Pedro is doing. So on I'm Twitter. talking up your Twitter handle again. Thank so, you. Thank you. There you are. Anyways, um, continuing on with Married Saints. Yes. You know, May is the married month on Salt and Light Radio. Yes. So we're going to look at a saint who um, is really at the heart um, of Salt and Light Television. Oh, I know. And who. I think you know who it is. Drum yes. roll, ladies and gentlemen, Saint Gianna Barretamola. Beautiful. So uh, she is the she is the patron saint of Salt and Light. Yes. Yeah. She's the lover of life. So tell us about her. Okay. So Saint Gianna was born in 1922 near Milan in Italy. Um, after she completed high school, she decided to study medicine, and she specialized in pediatrics. Very interesting. Um, once she had completed her medical degree, Saint Gianna considered joining her brother. Um, a missionary priest in Brazil. But in uh, the mid-1950s, in 1954, she met Pietro Mola, who was an engineer and fellow member of Catholic Action. It became very clear to her that she was being called to the vocation of marriage. So her and Pietro were married in September 1955. And Gianna and Pietro, um, they already had three children when she became pregnant, and that was in 1961. Earlier on in the pregnancy, we know that um, a dangerous fibroma 
fibroma, I think that's how it's pronounced, was discovered on her uterus. So um, choosing the route of treatment that would be least dangerous to the unborn child, Gianna underwent surgery herself to remove the fibroma. Mm-hmm. Uh, the operation was very successful, and the baby survived, but um, unfortunately, Gianna knew that complications could develop, and they did. So she made her wishes clear to the family that was around her, and she said, like, this time it uh, will be a difficult delivery, and they may have to save one or the other, but I want them to save the baby, and that's what they did. On April 21st, 1962, Gianna's fourth child, Gianna Emanuela, was successfully delivered um, via C-section. Um, however, Gianna still had severe pain, and she died of an infection after her daughter's birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she really is a lover of life. She put um, the needs of her beautiful child before hers. Right. And Pope John Paul II recognized that, and he canonized Gianna Mola on May the 16th, 2004. Her husband and youngest child, interestingly enough, were present at the canonization yes. ceremony. So um, her feast day is actually very close. Uh, it passed already. It's April the 28th, but um, St. Gianna Mola is a very special woman in the life of the Church, uh, we look to her um, for help and support in, in our marriage, and especially for those who may have complications with the birth, with of, birth a yeah. young, of a young child. So, yeah, good. Uh, we pray to her. Feast day, April the 28th. St. Janimal, in fact, our very first documentary made at Salt and Light Television is called uh, Love is a Choice. On Love the is life a Choice. St. Janimal. Love is absolutely a choice. Yes. Um, on another note, have you had the chance to meet the family, Deacon Pedro? No, no, I know um, Father Rosica has. I, I've met her granddaughter. Okay. Yes. Okay, very yes. good. Very cool. You're to, to be able to say that your grandmother is a saint. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, that's, and it's, it's quite something, especially for anyone who maybe have met World, uh, who met uh, Pope John Paul II at, at one of his World Youth Days. Yes. They can say that, you know, I was, I shook hands, I kissed right. hands. Yes, I, I had did. a chance to break bread with a yes. saint. Very cool, very cool. And I've had a chance to break bread with Andrew Santos. Ah, so please, I strive for sainthood every day. I, I we all do, don't, we all I should. Sometimes don't get there, but, you know, I strive. Okay, Andrew, thank you very much. So St. Gianna Mola, feast day, April 28th. She's a great, actually, she is, I think, the model of a married and mother saint. So thank you very much. Amen to that. Have a great week. Andrew Santos, our saint expert, is youth director at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Markham, Ontario. Coming up, a reflection for the Feast of the Ascension, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Adam. Hi, I'm Lori. And we're Out of Darkness. And you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash slradio1 and be sure to like our page. Also, Stay connected with your name and email address at saltandlighttv.org slash radio for a chance to win cool prizes. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister Marie Paul. It's great to be here, Deacon Pedro. How are you? Good. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, I have a question for you today. Okay. Uh, What is the best pro-life film that you've seen? Oh, pro-life. Oh, um, hmm. Oh, you know what? Um, I don't think it was intended necessarily to be a pro-life movie, but I think a great movie that has a great pro-life message is Juno. Juno. Yes. Yeah. That that is a great great Academy Award-winning movie. Yes, it's uh, got a great story. It's well-performed. It's a great script. It's not really... uh, 
bashing you over the head with the pro-life message, but the message is there. Yes, I, I have to agree. There's a scene in there that I think is definitely one of the best pro-life scenes I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, abortion is such a big, uh, uh, it's been legal for so long here in North America that I think films that treat uh, the pro-life issues are really urgent today. So mm-hmm. I wanted to highlight uh, a recent film that I think does this very, very effectively. Okay. It's called Gimme Shelter. Yeah. It opened theatrically in the U.S. in January. Yes. But it is now available on DVD um, in Canada as well as the U.S. And it is, you know, pro-life films have a lot that they have to do, right? They yes. have to look at a tough topic. They need to be true to life, but interesting and original. Uh, they need to be accessible to a general audience. Yes. Uh, and, it, and it really helps if they're not preachy. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is such which, a polarizing you know, <laughs> issue, yeah. That's right. That's right. So I think that this movie succeeds at all three of those things. Really? Good. And it it also has some great acting performances in it, uh, which really help to drive the story forward. Gimme Shelter is... Uh, based on, basically, the writer took the lives of several homeless teenagers that he got to know mm-hmm. uh, at the several sources shelters where he stayed for a number of months researching uh, his script. And he takes these several stories and weaves them into the life of one fictional character called Apple Bailey. She's 16 years old at the start of the film, and she is working up her courage to leave her addicted, abusive mother. And uh, she ends up running off to see her father, uh, who's, you know, she's never seen, uh, she's never met. Mm-hmm. And she finds him, he's a Wall Street, he's a big business kind of guy with another family. And um, because she discovers she's pregnant, and because she won't give up, she won't ab- have an abortion, she ends up on the streets, pregnant and mm-hmm. homeless. So it's, uh, the the movie gets gets off with a really riveting start. And the director chooses, the director's Ronald Krauss, and he gives us a film that is not meant to make us comfortable. It's not a Hollywood, you know, a beautiful Hollywood film in that sense. Instead, it gives us a lot of realism, a lot of uh, close-ups, a lot of really intense emotional scenes. It's a very, very honest film. And I think what happens is as the audience, we're kind of pulled in to Apple's experience, and you, you can start really imagining what it must have been, what it must be like to be pregnant and on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is now it's it is very powerful, and yet uh, it's also restrained enough that young teenagers should be able to watch this okay. film uh, without um, any problem at all. It's uh, the, the themes of honoring life. Uh, the meaning of family. Um, it highlights the great um, work of ministries such as Several Sources Shelters, uh-huh. who do great work in helping um, pregnant teenagers. And um, and it was also fun. Um, we've got Brendan Fraser as the yes. kind of as the dad, and uh, we've got James Earl Jones as a Catholic priest, which was right. really fun. Great. And and the film gets a lot of those details of being Catholic just right without too oh, much with, without preaching. So. I, the film feels a bit heavy due to the subject matter, um, and it, it is very powerful. It's certainly not the perfect film. It could have had a stronger script, more subtext, but really it's a very imp- inspiring story and a powerful testament to a mother's love. So I think we should all see and share this movie. I mean, it's really it's a powerful film that can help us to reflect on, on many levels. Yeah, good, and and I think that that's a, it's, a, it's a, a clever way to to tackle the issue of abortion without tackling the issue of abortion, just looking at the life of this very real human being. Um, So Give Me Shelter, it's out on DVD. It's probably on Netflix in the United States. I'm sure people can find it. Thank you, sister.
You're very welcome, Deacon Pedro. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. Also follow her on Twitter, at Sister M. Paul. Hi, this is Michael Paul from the Jacob and Matthew Band. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. The angel's words to the men of Galilee in the first reading for the Feast of the Ascension are painfully blunt and leave little room for misinterpretation. Why do you stand here looking up at the skies? This Jesus who's been taken from you will return just as you saw him go up to the heavens. As Jesus disappeared, he didn't simply dissolve into thin air. He cast off limitations that he had voluntarily taken on himself. But for us, that means that he has left us here as orphans. Or has he? On the day of his ascension, one might conclude that Jesus removed himself into a new form of divine exclusion. The case is exactly the opposite. In God, Jesus is here in a new and very specific way. Only in his physical separation from the historical scene can his spiritual union with all the world for all time be complete. Jesus left the world one day in order to be available to all people throughout all time. He had to dissolve bonds he had made with his friends in order to be available for everybody. In Jesus, the future has already begun. In his ascension, Jesus made a commitment to the earth that we inhabit. His footprints are not etched for tourists to view in the stone beneath us, but they are visible in the hearts of those who follow him. As he gave up the ability to be present in one place, he gained the capability of being present in a thousand places. When Jesus vanished, he filled the earth with the presence of God. God's presence is still here and is available for us as the ultimate fulfillment of all of our dreams. We know that we move towards heaven to the extent that we approach Jesus. We are assured that he hasn't ever stopped being present with us throughout all time. And through us, he wants to become even more present, especially as his church. The mysterious Feast of the Ascension reminds us that Christ accepts our lack of self-confidence in ourselves. He accepts the shadowy and dark areas of our humanity. He accepts our capacity for deceit, betrayal, greed, and power. And having accepted us, he calls us, gives us the eternal commission to be his people, and sends us to serve him and love him in spite of ourselves and because of ourselves. In the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles for the feast, Jesus' disciples are given a last bit of instruction. Don't keep trying to stare into the future. Don't be overly concerned about which hour he will come back. We must not stand idly staring up into the heavens and moaning about the past about which we can do nothing except to bury it deeply in God's hands and heart. The Lord will be glorified and it follows that his disciples will also share in his glory. Let's get going then and carry a piece of heaven into the world. This is the meaning of the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord. Not one of divine abandonment of the human cause, but divine empowerment of the gospel dream. May Christ dying and rising move us to make God's glory dwell on earth. May our hope for the future inspire us in a respect for the present moment. And may the desire for the heavenly realities not make us neglect our work on earth.
Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest. He's the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. You can follow him on Twitter at Father Rosica. Coming up in our second half hour, how to make Catholic preaching better and a featured chat with singer-songwriter John Angotti. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Pope Benedict XVI wrote in the Apostolic Exhortation Verbum Domini that the homily is a means of bringing the scriptural message to life in a way that helps the faithful to realize that God's Word is present and at work in their everyday lives. Now add to that the 18 pages that Pope Francis dedicated to preaching in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium. In it, he writes, the homily is the touchstone for judging a pastor's closeness and ability to communicate to his people. We know, he continues, that the faithful attach great importance to it and that both they and their ordained ministers suffer because of homilies, the laity from having to listen to them and the clergy from having to preach them. Um, I don't know about you, our listeners, but when, when was the last time that you heard a good homily? Or better yet, what is a good homily? To tell us, I am now joined by Father Garrick DeBona of St. Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology. Father, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me. I, I hope that you were smiling as I was. We, I love that quote from Pope Francis about suffering through homilies. Um, oh, yes, I, I really resonated <laughs> when uh, I read that in the exhortation. Yes. Um, now, I once uh, heard Cardinal Levada, uh, when he was prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of, of Faith, say that a good homily has to be scriptural, catechetical, pastoral, and liturgical. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that's true, and would you even say that that's possible? Oh, I would say that that's absolutely true, and I think uh, when the Pope is, um, you know, he, when he gives his exhortation, uh, his his bottom line is that the homily has to set the heart on fire. Ah, yes. And uh, in that sense, I think the real experts are the, the baptized faithful all in the pew who are waiting and eager to have their hearts set on fire. So um, from my perspective, they are the ones that are really um, helping to to improve the homily. And in fact, I tell my students that when they get to parishes after they're ordained, uh, one thing that they should make a practice of is to um, pass out cards at the end of the liturgy and ask, what did you what hear? What did you hear, yes. Because uh, it is so important that um, we have a dialogue with our people. And when the Pope says that the pastor, the shepherd, has to smell like the sheep, Yes, the, the homily yeah. is a good chance to be able to, you know, a litmus test mm-hmm. about that very reality. Okay, let me, let me stop you there for a second, because this is, happens to me all the time. People say, oh, that was a great deacon, that was a great homily. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, what did you hear? Exactly. And, they, and they, I don't know what they heard, because what they, what they tell me is not at all what I said, but they still yeah. think it was a great homily. So the litmus test is, am I clear in what I'm communicating, not just exactly. Was it good? And I tell my students that uh, what they can strive for uh, and what they should strive for is a single focus sentence. Uh-huh. 
And in that sense, it the homily ought to be um, direct and simple in the sense that it is getting across what the late Bishop Ken Untner referred to as yeah. a pearl, uh-huh. uh, because the purpose of the homily in the end, the liturgical homily, is to deepen the faith of the baptized. Not uh, different from a theme sentence, it's rather something that is uh, something that will bring them, set their heart on fire. Uh-huh. And um, in, in that sense, I think the homily uh, in the end has to do with forming the Christian community so that it's, it's, it does have all the aspects that um, Cardinal Levada mentioned mm-hmm. uh, that are echoed by uh, Pope Francis, mm-hmm. because those, those very realities that uh, he mentioned, the scriptural, the catechetical, and so on, those mm-hmm. are indispensable instruments in formation for the Christian community. Okay, so I was, I was going to ask you what makes a good homily, but I think you've answered. So one message, the focus or the pearl, yeah. uh, the, uh, can you give an example? What would be a, a, a key, key message for, I don't know, the Good Shepherd, the, the Gospel of the Good Shepherd that, that day, for example? Well, I would say God's love is present among his people, and uh, he has sacrificed himself uh, for us and and lives with us even now. So you ta- uh, you would you would take that whole the the readings of the day and but focus it uh, around that one statement. Yes, and you know I mean one could turn that kind of thing into a uh, let's say how how would you unfold that kind of thing if if I was preaching that that gospel uh, in um, one part of the world. Uh, who, w- right. who would know perhaps what a shepherd is very readily. Yeah, okay. Uh, I would talk about images uh, that would relate to the cultural environment there. Yeah. But if I was preaching this homily in Toronto or New York City, yeah. uh, among people who really have very little idea of what a shepherd is, uh-huh. I might have to use other kinds of images in order to uh, allow them to see what the scriptures are saying. Right. Now, I'm intrigued by, by, uh, by what you said about, about setting hearts on fire, and I, I don't remember who it was, but uh, it might have been John Chrysostom, who, who was a great preacher, and he said that when, when I preach, people come, I light myself on fire, and people come to watch me burn. Um, I think it was John Wesley that said oh, that, was it? but uh, I could be wrong about that. I, I don't that. know, it, but it's, it's a great quote. It's um, a wonderful quote, and I use it all the time. Okay, because well, <laughs> I really think it begins to speak about the witness of preaching. So, but and the passion is what the word I would use. Yes, absolutely. So, so, so here's my question: How much of how much of it is um, the medium is the message? Is it what we say versus how we say it? Because you might have great content and a great cl- focus, but if you're not passionate about it and you're reading it from the pulpit, it might not set any hearts on fire. I agree. I think that the witness value in today's culture is absolutely crucial. Uh, and uh, Pope Paul VI was onto this uh, uh-huh. some years ago when he spoke to uh, a group in Rome and, and mentioned that the witness uh, value is cannot be underestimated by the Christian community. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, I think people are looking for authenticity. They're looking for conviction. They're looking for people who have experienced God's love and want to pass that on to others. And they can get all the information they want off the Internet. Yes. You know, in that sense, there's tons of stuff available that they can check all week at their office, uh, at home. But where are they going to find uh, someone who is going to be convincing, who has seen the Lord and wants to uh, bring that to him? The Pope spends a long time talking about charismatic preaching, uh-huh. where... 
uh, we can, uh, you know, see that, you know, the, the charismatic preaching gets its mandate from the encounter with the risen Lord. Right. So I think people want someone who has seen God, uh, so to speak, and um, like Moses has encountered the holy and has been called to then liberate the people right. and to bring them to a promised land. So, so in the 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 minute or so that that we have left, well, we have more, but I want to talk about the conference. Um, how would you go about preparing a, a good homilist? What is uh, what do we do to prepare? I think the key is to start early in the week. Um, if you're preaching the Sunday homily, I would say take Monday morning to start reviewing the lectionary text for mm-hmm. the coming. Uh, weekend. Yeah. Another, uh, indis- really, uh, in my mind, indispensable guide and partner in all of this has to be the people themselves, mm-hmm. so that what's going on in your parish that's going to inform the homily. Obviously, if you've had a tragedy in the parish, uh, someone has died unexpectedly, you're going to be preaching right. uh, d- the, the raising of Lazarus uh, during Lent in a different way than yes. if you had not. The other conversation partner, I think, is very definitely looking at the Roman Missal and looking at the liturgical text. Okay. How do these begin to form uh, or crystallize uh, a, a kind of pattern and, and begin to articulate even a method that uh, you can begin to structure the homily around? Mm-hmm. Uh, being clear, one of the biggest complaints people have, and you've hinted at it uh, earlier, uh, is that there's uh, too much going on, and right. there needs to be a simplicity. So how can you structure the homily so people are following along with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like we're there to, to construct some private meditation. Yeah. The, we're there for the sake of the listener, for the sake of the baptized who are unpacking it with us. Right, right. Um uh, there's going to be a conference in homiletics uh, hosted by the St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto in, Ju- in July, July 7th and 10th. I know that you're going to be in Toronto for that. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about the focus of that conference? Or the, um, I, the focus of the conference is really going to be a celebration, as I understand it, of the Archdiocese's centenary. Uh, and yeah. uh, my understanding is that um, the church leaders want to uh, emphasize preaching, and rightly so, yes. because, um, you know, the, the new evangelization is going to um, impact everybody one way or the other, and I think uh, drawing a line and highlighting this under, uh, is really a, is an excellent way of celebrating the, this very important event for the Archdiocese. Okay, so then that's going to be July 7th to 10th. I presume it's it's a conference f- on homiletics, so it's for people, priests, deacons, who are, are preachers, I guess. Correct, it's liturgical preaching. Th- yes. And so they've, they've gotten a number of people that are going to talk about preaching from uh, different perspectives. Yes. And I think, at least from my um, understanding of the kind of conferences I've been to before on preaching where the diocese participates on this kind of level, it's a real shot in the arm Good. for people to be able to kind of say, you know, this is really what we're about, and I'm anxious to bring this kind of good news to people. Right. Good. No, I'm looking forward to that. I can't I can't go to the whole thing, but maybe I can go to parts of it. Maybe I can even get a media pass. Um, so that's going to be July 7th to 10th, uh, St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto. You can get more information by calling St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto. That's probably the best way um, I'm, we're going to put a link on our site 
uh, for registration uh, but St. Augustine Seminary, how to make Catholic preaching better, July 7th to 10th. Father Garrick de Bona, thank you very much for sharing a little bit of, of this with us. I'm very passionate about this topic. Um, I can tell, <laughs> and I'm, I'm very grateful to talk to you about it. Yes, excellent. So hopefully we can set some hearts on fire. That would be wonderful. Father Garrick de Bona is a Benedictine priest. He's a member of the St. Meinred Arch Abbey. He is also a professor of homiletics and communication at St. Meinred Seminary and School of Theology. He has published several books and articles on preaching, cultural studies, and religious communication. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, John Angotti, with There's a Presence from his album, I Believe. There's a presence in this place There's a presence in this place I can feel it in my bones And I know it in my soul There's a presence in this place There's a presence In this place There's a presence In this place I can feel that You are here And you take away my feet There's a presence In this place I believe In you I believe There's a presence in this place There's a presence in this place And it calls me to the poor To the suffering at our door There's a presence in There's a presence in this place There's a presence 
hands in this place I can't see you but I know your mercy you have shown there's a presence in this place That was John Angotti with There's a Presence from his album, I Believe. John Angotti has been writing Christian music since he was a teenager at St. Joseph's Seminary where he was considering entering the priesthood. In 1995, John signed a distribution deal with World Library Publications, and since, since then he's published 11 albums. But there's more coming, and we're going to talk about soon. John is a true music missionary. He travels all over the world providing inspirational music and witness to people of all ages through his concerts, workshops, retreats, missions, conferences, and also, of course, in liturgy. And today, he's in the recording studio, but he's also joining me on the Salt and Light Hour. So, John and Gaudi, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yes. So, a uh, question I ask everybody. What was it like growing up in the Angadi household? Was it, was it a Catholic household? Was it faith-filled? Or was it something else? It, it was very faith-filled. Uh, it was very, very Catholic. My mother and father, are, uh, my grandparents are all from Italy. Yes. And we are all adopted from different families. And really? so, you know, music was something that was mandated in our household. Music and mass, you know, those were... <laughs> mandatory and um so you know i play today because my mother made me you know, so, so something that so i chose on my own was it a large family lots of brothers and sisters siblings yeah uh, there was there was four of us yeah an older brother older sister and a younger sister so i was third and you and, um, and you were like you had to take piano lessons you were forced <laughs> to do music. we were forced yeah we started i started i was seven years old oh. and um it you know i i really didn't take a, a a liking to it, so I was later on in high school when I started to figure it out, and, you know, playing more pop stuff, and then playing in church, and starting to write at that point, and, right. and uh, you know, it, it kind of um, became like breathing, you know, second nature, so I didn't have to sit down and like figure out what's this and that, it just kind of right. happened. And when when did you start playing at Mass? Uh, you know, I started playing when I was about 14, uh-huh. and... Um, when I went to the, the high school seminary, you know, we had mass every day, and because right. I was somebody who could play, they put me in charge of the music at that early age, and uh-huh. and I was just kind of winging it at the time, but, you know, Be Not Afraid and On Eagle's Wings were brand new songs back then. Yes. And, you're you're um, dating yourself. I am. Yeah. So, and, and that's when you started writing music. That's when I started writing, and based out of um, just personal, you know, teenage experiences of life. And would you say that the music you were writing was Christian music, or were you writing all kinds of stuff? It was all kinds of stuff. You know, it might have been the little girl that I was seeing yeah. at the moment, or yeah. uh, the teacher that upset me that day, or something. You know? Yeah. Now tell me something. So you were you went to a, a seminary high school? Yeah, it was a high school seminary. I was there for three years, sophomore, junior, senior year, and then I went on to the college seminary. It, it was a house of studies uh, for right. the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston, at, um, at Wheeling College. 
uh-huh. in Wheeling, West Virginia. And so you went to this high school because was it a choice that you wanted to go? It was, was a it choice like the that Catholic I was. Yeah. No, yeah, it was a, you know it was something that I in our junior high years we went to visit that place, and so you know it's something that seemed to appeal to me. Right. And, um, so my parents wouldn't let me go my first year, uh-huh. but then my second year, my sophomore year, they went ahead and let me uh, go because you never you didn't come home but once every three weeks. Right. So what was that experience like being there? Um, you know, it, it was great. It was very formative. I mean, I do what I do today because of that mm-hmm. experience there. You know, the the, the prayer life. Uh, you know, the thing about us doing mass was mass was fun. Yeah. The, the, the music was alive. It just wasn't something that was boring. The priests that were there were, you know, very um, creative in their thinking and and uh, very formative for me in terms of of you know, ma- making liturgy mean something to us. So it sounds and, like, um, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're, you're different. I mean, you're lucky. I mean, a lot of people have, have not very positive experiences with the church. Did you never went through periods of, of doubt or leaving the faith or? Oh yeah. A- a- after that. Oh yeah. You know, after I got out of the seminary, you know, I we kind of, I went to West Virginia university uh-huh. And, um, you know, fell off the wayside. And then when I would go to Mass, the experience wasn't the same right. as what I had had. And so, uh-huh. you know, I kind of fell off the wagon for a while. And, and uh, But then when I started playing for Mass again later on in my 20s, um, you know, I would only go to Mass if I was playing. Right. Because I was the only one that could create, uh, you know, music that seemed to, to reach people. You know, the other music that when I would go would be so drag and and boring. You could see the looks on people's faces. Nobody smiled. It was yeah. like, come on, where's the joy? Uh-huh. And um, so I last year I finished a master's in um, pastoral mm-hmm. studies from Catholic Theological Union. Right. And talking about losing faith, you know, in the first year or so of that process of unfolding unpacking, you know, what all this means and the depth of it and the history of it. And there were periods of there I was like, wow, everything I really kind of thought may be a little bit different. And so, uh, you know, I did have some doubt and some Mm -hmm. troubles, but I also realized that the the doubt sends you deeper. Yeah. And when you go deeper, you run into the truth. True. And the truth is such a mystery that it's beyond words that it kind of leaves you in a sense of awe and wonderness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. You, you wouldn't be where you are now had you had not gone through those periods of doubt. Uh, um, yeah. you've, you've been doing this for a long time, um, fairly successfully. What would you say is your, your mission, if I could call it that? Or, and, and today compared to 20 years ago, how would you say it's changed? Or do you still think you still have the same focus in terms of your, your mission? It's completely, you know, 20 years ago, it was it was trying to be successful as a singer and a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And today, it's trying to be successful in the change in hearts and to helping people connect that God is all around us, to walk people through their sufferings. You right. know, the, the, the mission of the music is to help other people in their journeys so that we can all unite. You know, we're all different from different perspectives and different personalities, but yet we're united in love. We're united in this mission 
of going out to the captives to set the captives free and and to the lost and to the lonely because if we're not for that purpose then what else are we for right and um so you know seeing church from many different perspectives i see a lot of folks get stuck in the ritual without understanding what the ritual is to point us to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um so that's you know how the mission has grown and changed because now you know if i could give it all away i would but I have two children and a wife who hmm. seem to want to be fed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I'm able to do this as a living at this point, which is a blessing. Yeah. But uh, the, the mission is, is beyond anything other than service. Absolutely. Now, you've written, uh, I mean, you're, you have a lot of music, contemporary music, pop sound, pop music, liturgical music, and now um, there's a musical that you're recording. Tell us about Job, the musical. Job has been on my mind since the late 90s. I started it back in, like, 97, 98. Oh, yeah. And um, I was music director at the cathedral in Wheeling, West Virginia. We had just did Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh-huh. And for some reason, the topic of Job was on my heart, and I really didn't know much about it. So I started writing it way back then, and then would put it away for a year and then bring it back out until finally through this master's program I was working on, one of the topics was, uh, one of the classes was God and the Mystery of Suffering. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when that all unpacked, that whole joke thing came back to me, and it was like, I've got to finish this, because the only thing that we all have in common is that everybody has to deal with innocent suffering. Right. That where is God in, in you know, innocent death and all that kind of stuff. And so it compelled me to, uh, to really take this to a new level. And so over the last couple years where I did it as a workshop in L.A. at the L.A. Religious Ed Congress oh, yeah. to last summer doing it as a full-blown show to doing it as a workshop at NCYC to uh-huh. now where I've rewritten it again to where it's now we're ready to really present this um, it, um, to, to the world in a way that reaches beyond the church doors. It's very catechetical. It's a, it has a lot of evangelization in it. And it retells the story of Job in a way that is relevant now. Okay. So it's a full... So the, that's the name of the show. It's called Job, the Now Testament. Okay. And so it's a full, like, full-length Broadway-style musical. Yes, it's a two-hour nice. musical that is, you know, it has fun stuff in it. And, you know, it, it's a story of an everyday man who has to deal with those same sufferings and as he um, is re- given his lament to God, he falls into a slumber, and into his slumber, all the folks that are around him, you know, he dreams, and in the dream, he becomes Job. Right. But almost as this Wizard of Oz feeling where he becomes this character and takes on the character of Job, and all his friends take on characters of Job, and his children, and the God character, and Satan character, and it's this, you know, wonderful musical that unfolds that, and as the story ends, he comes out of the dream and he's back to where he was, having to deal with his own death. Right. Sounds... And now he hand now he deals with it in a whole new way, because of the way that the story of Job has helped him, uh, you know, see God and see suffering with mm-hmm. a whole new 
slant. Sounds amazing. Sounds fascinating. So, so this is a musical that people can 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 put on in their high school or church or wherever, or or That's a great. theater company can can actually do it. So there's a script. There's there's a score. They can contact you if they if they want to find out more. Absolutely. And and you, I hear you're recording. You're actually doing the recording right now, so it'll be available. Right. As we are as right as in the middle of the soundtrack. Nice. To, you know. Yeah. This month. Excellent. Well, John, that's all the time we have. But thank you so much. This has been this has been really good. I'm glad we finally connected. I know you you've you've been around for a long time, and and doing great work. So uh, it's been uh, a real blessing to finally have you on the show and to learn a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, thank you, Deacon. It's a pleasure. You can learn more about John Angotti, purchase his music, or book him at his website, johnangotti.com. That's Angotti with two T's. We're going to put that on our on our site as well, so you can find it easily. Here he is with I Send You Out from his album Angotti Live. I baptize you in the name of the Father. I baptize you in the name of the Son. I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Go out and spread good news I send you out I send you out On a mission of love I send you out I send you out On a mission of love listening to John Angotti with I Send You Out from his album Angotti Live and that will take us to the end of the program remember that if you tuned in late you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio that's also where you can listen to uninterrupted music all day long on our four Salt and Light Radio stations which are made possible thanks to the wonderful support from artists like John Angotti and World Library Publications Go to our website and learn how you can listen to online or on the go on your mobile devices. And while you're on our website, stay connected for a chance to win weekly prizes. All we need is your name and email address. Next time, next week, we're going to be giving away a copy of John Angotti's I Believe. You can also write nice things about us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash slradio1. Share our posts, post your own comments, invite your friends to like us, and like our page. And while you're there, also visit me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, or follow me on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. This program is completely free thanks to donations. So thank you for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. And thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.